Good day to our listeners. We are back with Kate, who will catch us up on some of the things she's been working on recently. Welcome, Kate. How have things been? Well, things have been incredibly busy. I think we've had a a busy period of time over the last two to three weeks where we've had the party conferences. So politics returning, the politicians returning, looking again at at the issues that they need to be grappling with in the economy. Uh, And quite a busy time, particularly at uh, Labour Party conference on the key issues around business rates. And then at Tory party conference, obviously, the debate around uh, labour markets, supply chain crises um, and wages and sort of overlaying that, the continual pressure that we've seen across the sector as we've come back and reopened around those key challenges, cost price inflation coming through, labour markets still stagnating and moving ahead into the budget. So quite a busy time to be communicating back to government all the real life challenges we're facing as we're hit by a a series of of sort of sidewinds, CO2, fuel, all of those kind of challenges that just make uh, it much busier and a much more entertaining period of time to be engaging with government about. I assume, are they the issues as well that you've been talking to the press about? I think those are the key issues. I think it's a mark of what we've done over the course of of the, the pandemic period, the 18 months. Um, that we are now the go-to organisation when media want to talk about the impact of, of economic crises, economic challenges on the sector, that they come and talk to us. So yes, those big meaty supply chain issues have been what's dominating the debate and what dominates what we're feeding into government. So that's particularly around um, utility prices, gas, electricity prices, that's what's fueled the CO2 crisis. That's what's fueled the fuel crisis that we're seeing. That's what's fueling a lot of the supply chain issues and the costs that are coming through. And it has been sequential after that. So we started with a, a, over the summer and into beginning of September, a lot of talk about labour absences, challenges of finding recruitment. Um, that's then morphed into the, the challenges of, of the supply chain. Again, labour driven to do with drivers, HGV, um, but also at every point in the supply chain, whether it's, it's it's sort of right back at the farm for picking the food, killing and butchering the animals, preparing the, the food that we need to eat, distributing it. At every point, we've had a, a challenge. And so hospitality has been right at the front of the political considerations, because while we're the end user, our ability to service that demand is only as good as the strongest part or the weakest part or only as strong as the weakest part of our supply chain. Uh, And ministers and and officials have been really particularly concerned about the fact that a sector that's 18 months in hibernation with uh, sub-economic performance is still performing below par through no fault of its own, but through these challenges. So, um, yes, that's that's been very live in the discussions that we've been having and the media really concerned about the impact that this is having. This now moved on. And I I think at all points, the other thing I would say is at all points, hospitality has been the canary in the coal mine again. So we were the canary in the coal mine to show what was happening with COVID initially. Back in July, beginning of August, we had the same thing with the pandemic and with labour shortages and the rest of the economy feels as though it's catching up with us. We're now the canary in the coal mine about inflation. So you are now starting to see really significant, substantial cost increases coming through 50 to 100 percent in utilities, around 20 percent in terms of food and drink supply. Um, and around 11 to 13 percent in wages. So significant cost price increases and also overlaying that, grappling the VAT change to work out what to do and how that translates through to prices. 
And I think this week in particular, over the weekend, the Bank of England governor starting to talk about inflationary pressures in the economy, how this is not going to be a short term spike, but is going to be higher and longer and more sustained than we thought it was going to be. And again, hospitality right at the cutting edge of that debate, pushing to make sure that we get the longer term uh, lower rate of VAT that we need to navigate through this particularly turbulent period. And we've been pushing hard on that lower rate through our That's Enough campaign. If you're on social media, you may have seen it or the hashtag That's Enough. If you do see those posts, obviously make sure that you uh, share those, you interact and you send those postcards and letters to your MP because that is a a big part of lobbying government and having the MPs on our side in, in government. Yes, exactly. And I think this is going to be a long term campaign. So nobody was expecting. Well, first of all, we weren't expecting a budget in October. It was just going to be an autumn statement. It's now morphed into a budget because obviously you've had the NIC increase, which is going to add about 10 percent to wage bills just through the change in the tax. And we understand now that the budget on the 27th of October is also going to look at excise duties and give some signals around business rates. But it isn't going to be a substantive package. The real budget in spring next year, that's when we may get the opportunity to look at longer term reforms that might be needed around VAT, around business rates, root and branch reform. And so therefore, this needs to be a sustained pressure on MPs over the next six months to get them to lock in that lower rate of VAT. And that's why the inflation rate and the inflation debate is is so important. This is what the Treasury is really fearful about. You get big cost increases that come through. We all knew this was going to happen. We knew there was going to be a tightening in the labour market. But I don't think anybody expected this perfect storm to hit simultaneously for the cost increases to be so substantial and for it to be baked in for a long period of time. So they were expecting a sort of two months of hike in, in inflation and then coming back down. But I think the strongest argument we have in in our weaponry is the fact that there is real fear about adding inflationary pressure into the system unnecessarily, and therefore keeping that lower rate of VAT. The other thing I would add, you know, send the postcards in, do send it in even after October, we will need that length of time to be communicating with MPs, ask them to come and visit your site and your premises in your in their constituency, and also sign the petition. We'll be circulating all of those details again after the budget next week. You can find more details on that on our website. Just head to our homepage or uh, ukhospitality.org.uk forward slash that's enough. And um, you mentioned business rates that's been discussed in, in the media. What exactly does that mean? And was that really a bad report there that we heard? Well, it's slightly disappointing news that the the Chancellor bought himself more time to look at the longer term review of business rates. So I don't think it's an abandonment of the the manifesto pledge to introduce root and branch reform, but it's kind of a, a pause and not necessarily announcing the way forward in October. And we do know this is a reforming Chancellor. His um, his political role model is Nigel Lawson, who did a lot to reform the tax code. So I think I think the reports at the weekend are right that this is not ruling out root and branch reform, but it needs a bigger look. And also, hopefully that gives an opportunity to put it in the context of other taxes that might be coming forward in the modern economy. Uh, But what we are expecting to hear this time around is what will happen to, to business rates in, in, in April? Um, normally, at the, in an autumn statement, you would you would hear um, what the, the increase is going to be. Um, and that's usually fixed according to September's inflation figures, which are likely to make some pretty grim reading when they come out on Wednesday of this week. Um, so we may see some indications about a temporary fix 
root and branch reform was due to come in from 2023. So there's still time to get that right and to bring that forward. But we need to have the bridge for hospitality in particular between April's cliff edge when business rates kick back in at the highest levels they will ever have been at pre the, the property market crash uh, post Brexit vote. Um, they will kick back in and that would just be simply unsustainable for many hospitality businesses. So good to see that then there will be a signal about what happens then. And it's important that we have an extension of substantial relief for hospitality, as well as that lower rate of VAT in order to navigate the uncertainties that we've got. And you also mentioned that one of the challenges obviously has been staffing and, and that side of things. So this week is National Apprenticeship Week. So I think we should probably mention that UK Hospitality, uh, we are supporting the Awareness Week. Why do you think it's so important that UK Hospitality throws its weight behind this Awareness Week? Well, I think it is really critical twofold. I mean, one one is that, that we are restarting that engine, that talent pipeline of apprentices. I think one of the things that politicians forget is that, you know, apprenticeships stopped all the way through the pandemic. You can't run an apprenticeship. You can't have catering colleges while you have no businesses open to be able to complete that training. So through no fault of our own, we've got a two year disruption to that talent pipeline. And we need to restart that to make sure that we've got the, the good recruits coming through from the future. We're picking people up as early as possible, as well as building in the apprenticeships for, for leadership and for training at the higher levels. So I think it's important to do that ourselves um, and to get back to those positive levels that we had pre, uh, pre-pandemic. We were the largest provider of apprenticeships and it is a great way of getting people into the industry. So we need to remind people at the very early levels in their vocational training, that this is a route through for them. Secondly, I think it's really important politically because we've all seen and heard the narrative from the Prime Minister at the Conservative Party conference that uh, cheap immigrant labour, uncontrolled immigration, which is a caricature of the position of the industry, but, but his metric of you need to invest in your young people, you need to invest in the domestic workforce, and you need to upskill, pay higher wages, make people more productive before you come and talk to me about labour market problems. You know, this is imperative that we put our own house in order, we make sure that we are demonstrating in spades what we have done, what we already do, what we know we all do, which is to to invest in local skills, local talent, recruit locally and invest in our workforce. So it's important to have that, that narrative about what the industry is doing will continue to do and the investment we are making in order to have a grown-up conversation with the government about co-created solutions and a longer-term labour market strategy from uh, next year onwards. And if you do want to get involved with that, there is a hashtag going around, more than a job. So if you want to challenge those misconceptions about the roles in the industry and showcase the opportunities and the exciting roles you've got on offer, if you do have any on offer, if not, just discuss what your teams have been up to. Get on social media and look for uh, more than a job. And I think it's also really important to to note at the the sort of end of that, for for, for new apprenticeships, the government's paying people £3,000 per apprentice. So there's a good way of getting in some some really good, valuable training and to get the the costs covered um, by the government. And, And secondly, 
we have a longer term recruitment issue that we have within the industry. We know we have a perception issue within the industry and we need to be recruiting the, the, the talent of the future and presenting ourselves as a career of choice. This is a great opportunity to change those perceptions and to highlight how much fun uh, a career in hospitality is, how rapid the progression is from, from entry level to, to leadership and the rewards that go alongside that. And talking about the perception of the industry and what the industry is doing to kind of better itself. Now, you were given the government appointment of the Disability Ambassador for Hospitality. What does that mean and what's been happening with that? Well, we have our very first meeting Tuesday of all of the disability ambassadors for all of the sectors of the economy. And this is a three year appointment. So it is about putting in place a plan to improve accessibility, both in terms of employment and also customer service and access for customers. So I think it is important to look at it from two prongs. Um, and really, um, it's a blank sheet of paper. We as ambassadors can pretty much write our own brief as to how we want to work with our industry to address accessibility issues and to tackle and champion disabled access within the sector. And really, it's less to do with being an ambassador outward facing, although that is clearly part of the role. And we have an ambition to make the UK's hospitality sector the most accessible tourism provider in Europe um, in the next couple of years. That was part of the tourism sector deal. Um, but it's also about being an ambassador for disabled people back into the industry. So listening, hearing, understanding the challenges that disabled people are talking about and seeing if we can find pragmatic solutions uh, to develop into training, toolkits for SMEs, to look at accessibility in the round. And one of the things that I'm really quite passionate about is, is making sure that we do look at it in the round, that we look at the hidden disabilities, the invisible disabilities, which make it more difficult for people to find work and, and to access services. I think disability tends to be framed very much in physical terms, and that tends to be quite a limiting discussion about what you can and cannot do physically to a building. But I think with an ageing population, there's a lot to talk about in terms of mobility. There's a lot to talk about in terms of neurodiversity, and it's about finding those creative solutions that allow people to have a meaningful job in the sector as well. I think hospitality definitely has a good place there, definitely an industry that can help support unemployment as, as well as the customer service. It's always a very innovative sector. And I think that that's part of the benefits of being, you know, within a trade association and having a membership of a trade association is that the, the trade association can, can have the expertise obviously has some of the largest companies in, in the country within membership who've done a lot of the heavy lifting and we can work through using their expertise, using their insight from their customers and from their employment practices so that we can develop, as I say, some very simple steps that the smaller players within the sector can take to make a big difference. And the same goes, you know, not just on the, the access, the employment, the employability, but then also what this week is going to be dominated by the launch of the government's net zero strategy and the heat and building strategy. And again, it's about that carbon net zero and that drive towards COP, where the benefit of being a member of a trade association is you have access to that best quality information, advice and guidance to help you on that journey and to, to make sure that it's as stress and cost free as possible in, in making the adaptations you need to, to address the environmental sustainability and governance agenda that is so important to many of our employees and our customers.
Very good point there about that sharing of knowledge. I know that members, they get a lot of benefit out of the meetings we hold where they share with their peers um, and as well as hearing from us on the latest information. So if people do want to know more about membership, you can always email us uh, membership at ukhospitality.org.uk. Um, Kate, we've covered a lot today, a lot of different areas. Is there anything else you wanted to mention before we, we finish? I think it's just a big thank you to all the listeners and the members for their continued engagement and support. We are continually, as we're moving back out into meetings with MPs, meetings with key stakeholders, we're continuing to hear how much engagement the members are having with their, their members of parliament. And that is really delivering meaningful impact and change on the ground and change at the policy level. So thank you for all that you're doing and, and look forward to continuing to work with everybody to get the support we need to get through the next few challenging months. Thank you, Kate. And don't forget, if you are a member, you can log into the portal and find the latest briefing documents that we have, which includes the briefing on the budget, which provides the facts and the figures on our industry and our arguments for why recommendations to the government should be heeded. So make sure you log in there and find all the information and latest detail. Thank you for listening and thank you, Kate. Thank you.